If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. Hello, I'm Simon Hughes. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I suppose cricket's gone a bit kaleidoscopic this week because we've got the NatWest Blast finals, the multicoloured nature of that at Edgbaston last weekend. And and yet we've also got two test matches going on at the moment. One at Lords, England against the West Indies about to happen. Australia against Bangladesh. More kind of subtle shades of test cricket combined with the multicolours of one-day T20 cricket, and also the news that the IPL sold a, a record-making deal as well. So, got quite a lot to talk about today. I just wonder whether cricket knows what it is at the moment. It, it feels in a, a huge state of flux. It's almost as if there's this huge storm coming, and nobody knows quite what it's going to do. When I talk about the huge storm coming, I mean the, the growth, the massive growth of, of T20, what it's going to mean for English cricket, what it's going to mean for, for world cricket. And I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It feels as if T20 is beginning to take over more and more and more. You just look at the IPL deal, absolutely vast deal, £2.55 billion. That was just the, that's just the television rights. There's also the title sponsorship as well from Avivo. And they've had, a, had to pay a 554% increase. There's just so much money going into T20. We're going to have a T20 competition, a city-based T20 competition in 2020. And that's weird as well, because we're, we're, we're sort of in limbo. We're waiting for it to happen. We don't quite know what's going to happen. I think that's very well put. And I, I was sat actually last night at Lord's on a table at the Spirit of Cricket lecture dinner. And I was sat between two leading administrators, Derek Brewer of the MCC, chief executive on my left, and Robert Lee, who's a treasurer of the MCC on my right and they both had very conflicting views about T20 and its its enjoyment you know Derek is a great moderniser and loves the spirit and the kind of singing and you know sweet Caroline and all that at Edgbaston 
and Robert is more of a traditionalist who loves test cricket. And th- I think that reflects what's going on in administration, is how do you get the, the balance right between the two? Because actually... There is place for both, I think. And um, what I've noticed about the the, the te- worry is, though, Simon, isn't it that one is going to wipe out the other? I don't know. I, I'm not convinced by that. I mean, look at the crowds that t- that came to Headingley, for instance. Uh, that, that you know, oh, okay, so the tickets were five pounds and ten pounds on the last day, but people did respond to coming to that in the school holidays, and the, the crowds for other games have been good. There is definitely room for both, and the thing is that. I think that, in a way, T20 isn't cricket, actually, as we know it. It's a completely different sort of entertainment. It's more like a circus. And it's interesting, you know, we talk about the IPL and the incredible amount of money that that rights has raised. And that is the definitive cricket circus, in a way, because... There is so much going on around the periphery of the game itself. You know, there's dancing, there's singing, there's motorcycle acrobatics. You know, there's all the sort of fun of the circus and a cricket match as well. And that's the route we're going down a bit more, I think, with our T20 in this country and probably the the city-based tournament, which will happen in 2020, I think will be even more like that. But at the moment, the administrators are sort of grappling with how to do it well and not to kind of alienate the traditional follower at the same time drawing new people into the game. It's a very difficult balance to try, but I think I think it'll work. And one of the issues is going to be where you draw your pool of players from in the future for all these T20 competitions. I mean, just just think of someone yeah. like Brendan McCullum, for example. I mean, he, he basically is a, a, a T20 mercenary. I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I'm just well, mean he that. admits it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he admits it because he, that's what he is. You know, he'll play in Australia, he'll probably play Pakistan, Super League, he'll play NatWest Blast, Caribbean Premier League, he'll probably play, I don't know if he's signed up to play in South Africa, he'll go back to play in the, in, the, in the Big Bash. And that is enticing for players. I mean, I know he made the point that actually you need to establish your reputation first. I mean, no one would just pick up Brendan McCullum if he was a, you know, a nobody, a 21-year-old, who might have hit a couple of sixes. You have to establish your reputation, of course, the international game, Test cricket, does that. But, I mean, New Zealand are about to have a meeting over the next uh, year or so with their players, they're trying to thrash out agreement for the future. They're trying to work out what sort of domestic program, domestic international program, they're going to have. And this winter, the coming winter, they're only going to play four Test matches. And I think it's the first time for such a long time they've only played four Test matches. You just feel that the that the, the, the gradual march of, of T20s is eroding uh, the traditional style of the game in countries like well like New Zealand like Sri Lanka and if it happens too much it's sort of in a way it sort of happened with the West Indies and I just wonder whether West Indies victory over England at Leeds and Bangladesh's victory over Australia that's probably slightly different because they're a sort of up-and-coming nation whereas West Indies feels that the, the, the emphasis is on T20 I just wonder whether that's almost like the the last throws if you like and, you know, the, the, the last hurrah, rather than the start of something new, whether it's the last of something rather than the start. I'm not sure. I, I, I think, in a way, T20 is a bit like McDonald's. You know, it's sort of starting to take over, a bit like McDonald's did 10 to 15 years ago, and everybody wanted a burger. Well, actually, that's great, but it doesn't stop people from also wanting a slightly richer, more expensive meal as well. There's still a market for... I mean, I went to the Chilton Firehouse the other night just to have a look at it, a famous restaurant in the centre of London. You know, fantastic joints, packed every night. Obviously, you need a bit more money to to enjoy that. But I, I, there is, just because 
the whole world is being taken over by burger joints doesn't mean that people aren't interested in in a slightly deeper, richer experience, which is a three-course meal or a test match. But if you don't get to those people at a young age, then you grow up with... 2020 you grow up with those competitions and you don't see the, the longer form of the game it, you know I, it seems but to me students have fast food and and they when they get older they eat slightly nicer food don't they, they cook slightly nicer food they don't just live off chips all the time i think the key to this is is two things one we do need a world test championship so that all these series actually mean something and you can measure one team accurately against another rather than the rather random ranking system that there is at the moment and and the other thing is to get more of the leading players to really promote test cricket in the way that Virat Kohli has you know Virat Kohli's played a lot of tests in the last a year and a half and has absolutely put his heart and soul into them and Joe Root's been the same you know the best batsman in the world at the moment Kane Williamson Joe Root Steve Smith Virat Kohli have all played lots of test matches and their success, David Warner as well, look at him succeeding in, in Bangladesh. To them, it's still really important and we have to keep getting that message across. Yeah, well, I, I agree about a test championship and we've, we've talked about this before. You know, you you have to fund it properly as well. You really have to reward players. But I, I suppose it's a more philosophical question. Are you rewarding players for sort of keeping, just keeping the past going? So you, in, in other words, you're, you're, you're against the tide, if you like. You're fighting against the tide of history. The, the, the tide that's sweeping in is a 2020 tide, and that's, the, that's what people are going to ride as they, as they grow up. You know, young kids, I know you say that you know, people can move on, you know, students eat burgers and they, they go on and, and, and want more sophisticated food as, as you get older. But I just wonder whether that tide is, is rolling in and it's an irresistible tide. It's just the tide of history. Change always happens, and you, you, you can't hold it back. Well, you, you, you can at least kind of... Put the sandbags out and, and stop it from actually. But why taking are you put? Over. Why are you putting the sandbags out? Then why didn't you? Ju- why didn't you just you accept accept nature? Well, I tell you partly why I, is it because I think what I've noticed about T Twenty and I said at the start it's not cricket in a way in the same in the traditional sense anyway because you notice when you go to a T Twenty game and I was listening to the T Twenty final on radio and I was at a, a Middlesex T Twenty game at Lords about two or three weeks ago you notice a crowd don't respond to in incidents of brilliance necessarily on the field I mean yes a big six they do but a brilliant bit of fielding a clever delivery which is a dot ball a good Yorker you know a good stop or something like that even a nice cover drive nobody says anything nobody reacts because they're all there with their mates they're you know dressed up in whatever they're probably having a few drinks they might be having food it's more of a social event with a bit of cricket as a backdrop and they don't react and respond to each individual moment now that can, can really appeal to some people who want to go and be part of the buzz, part of the crack, be in a big event and just feel the kind of feel the love, if you like. Those who really want to watch cricket will go to a test match instead. And there's a lot of people who still do. Well, I hope that's true. And I hope people do continue to go to test cricket because it's the form of the game that we love most. And also, I think you know, it would be accepted as well that you know, the players all say it, don't they? That, that's, that, if you succeed in test cricket, you know you're a top player. But I wonder whether that will change. You talk about tradition, whether actually T20 will become the tradition in 50, 60 years' time. That will become the tradition. I mean, they're already talking about and signing players up for a, a T10 league 
in the UAE. Yeah. So, you know, what are we going to have eventually? Just a whole series of, of super overs. You know, that'll, that'll be the new game, new kid on the block in about 40 years' time after people are fed up with, with T20. That, it, that's just my fear. I just fear at the moment. Or I, I just, just my, a naturally my, fearful type, aren't you? No, I mean, I, don't worry about it so much. I'm just trying to see the trends of history, yeah. really. And well, I, I, I feel, Cricket has survived since 1710 as an organised entity. You know, the first county game which I think was between London and Sussex or something, was 17-10 or 17-9. You know, and that longer form of the game has been going for, what is that, 300 years. Mm. I don't see any reason why it's not going to carry on. That is the form of the game that you prove yourself. It's like chess compared to drafts, isn't it? And, and people are still playing chess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how many people are still playing it? I mean, some people are still playing it. Look, I mean, I... I, I th- Society is changing massively. I mean, I hear today that Lego are in uh, crisis, the, the company Lego, because kids now play Minecraft on their computers or their phones rather than playing with blocks and making buildings. So life evolves. I think, in a way, we should celebrate the fact that Test cricket has survived 130 years, and I think it will survive at least another 30 anyway. So Nottinghamshire then, T20 champions. Uh, they're clearly the best one-day side in, in, in this country this summer. Absolutely superb. They won the, the, the 50 over competition. They won the 20 over competition. All under Peter Moores, who has this fantastic record at county cricket level, doesn't he? We won the title with Sussex, did really well at Lancashire as well. And now he's doing it all over again at, at Nottinghamshire. He, uh, he's someone I got, I got to know, Peter Moores, as a player, playing for Sussex sort of later on in my career and I always found him a very uh, bubbly kind of character not full of ideas bursting with enthusiasm and he's just carried that on as a coach he was always fascinated about the game I mean when you look at a, a player one of the things you notice is do they like watching the game at all or do they just when their team is batting just retire into the back and have a sleep or read a magazine or something and he was one who really liked watching and those people are often the best coaches just watchers of the game people who absorb information have ideas you go out for dinner with him and it's like a bombardment of ideas and just enthusiasm and I'm sure that's what he's brought to Nottingham to this time in fact I asked him what is the secret of their one day success We've got a pretty clear style of what we want to do. We try to pick people who we think can win games. So you're trying to pick match winners, really. And then, you know, on the basis that if we can all work hard, get them together as a group, um, then on any given day, hopefully two or three of those guys will have a day out and that'll be enough to win us a game. And that's what we found in both tournaments in some ways. We found that in the Royal London, um, certainly in the last stages when it was Samit Patel, and Steve Blaine, you get hundreds in the in the semi at Essex, and then uh, Alex Hales topped it all. I think with a brilliant 180 odd in the final to win us that game. So we've had that all the way through, and I think the finals day of the T20 is no different. We, you know, in the final, Tyrone Patel and Brendan Taylor stepped up and played brilliantly, and then you know Harry Gurney bowled so well all day. Um, you know, four for 18 or something like that in the final didn't go for a boundary. Um, was unbelievable bowling, and generally all the players. Uh, I've had their moments in different games and that's been enough to get us over the line. You talked about the players, Peter. What about your own role? I mean, where you've gone in county cricket, you've had success. Sussex, Lancashire and now Nottinghamshire. The number one thing for me is trying to help a player build belief in himself of what he can and he can't do and more what he can do. So in practice, if you want to 
belt a ball and you hit six out of six into the stand, then you go into the game pretty confident. If you get the right ball, you're going to belt it in the stand. You can't do it by talking about it. So, you know, I make no bones about it. I, you know, I expect players to put the work in, but the work actually isn't really work. It can be good fun if we get it right. One of the myths of coaching is that it's a big technical thing. It's not, I think, good coaching sort of outcome-based. You know, what it is you need to do? Let's go out there and try and do it. And then... If you can, great. If you can't, they start to work together to find out what things you might need to do to get better. Maybe you've got to get more balanced. Maybe you're going to have to create power from somewhere else. And you start to try and find out for each player um, what, they, what it is they need to do. Would you like another go with an international team, Peter? Honestly, I think of the two times internationally I've taken over, certainly the second time, you know, we're talking 13 months. It's, it's a really tough time frame to try and turn the side around. And in that time... We already moved the Test match team, I think. You know, my first lost two on Sri Lanka, and then we beat India three one, and we we drew the series with the West Indies. But our players were coming through. One day, wise, we had more work to do because we hadn't quite got those players through yet. And the World Cup came. You know, I think I had fifteen games before the World Cup. It's not very long to change a team. It's less than the carry season, um, and it didn't work. We went to the World Cup with a view to go out there and play very positive, aggressive cricket, and. You know, unfortunately for the players on the day, they couldn't get that out themselves. Um, and as a coach, you carry the can. But 30 months for me isn't... I was confident, if I'd stayed on longer, that we were getting things right and we'd move things on. We knew the players we had uh, in the wings and pretty much probably the last game I was in charge of Ireland, we had the team that we're currently playing now. Well, that's Peter Moores. It's clear that what happened with England still... Rankles, especially the second time, because it's not often you get a second chance to be national coach or national manager or England captain or anything like that. Normally, it's, it's once at the job and then it's off with your head and onto the next bit of your life, isn't it? But he, got, he had two chances and it lasted for thirteen months, and he, he still, you know, talks about it in detail. Was able to talk about it in detail the fact that he wasn't given more time. I mean, it felt at the time, and that World Cup was so abysmal that England. Uh, played in, in Australia, it felt at the time that it was it was inevitable that he was going to be sacked. Um, when you look back now, does it still feel like the right decision? Well, it was an upheaval, wasn't it, that was very sudden and badly managed. And I think he was sacked in Dublin, wasn't he? And all the press knew before even he did, That's right, yeah. which, was, which was really embarrassing. And Paul Dowdle was sacked as well. And there was a completely new regime came in. Peterson has gone. So it was this ex- sort of explosion of... of bodies disappearing in all directions and that that can be very harmful and sometimes a bit too drastic uh, it's taken England a little bit of time to, to rebuild obviously the one day side has done very well the test side is still a little bit in flux we're still looking at the test side now thinking have they got the right personnel for for the ashes which we'll find out maybe later this week or not but I, I think he probably was a bit harshly treated by People who one or two he fell out with one or two players, or one or two players didn't particularly like his methods, and those players were quite influential. And he had this tag as someone who was obsessed by data. I know, in fact, that he has used a fair bit of data in the Nottinghamshire One Day campaign, as have Warwickshire, and that is becoming more and more the case. That One Day cricket, T Twenty cricket, especially, is is almost a sort of money ball thing where you look very precisely at at someone's skills uh, in the sixth over against off spin and work out the batting orders consequently that will work best. He's very good at that kind of thing. He's very good at the detail. 
the other thing I thought was interesting, he said about we were changing the one day side. We wanted to do it in Australia, but it was it was almost too soon. And when we came back, we were changing the one day side. It already started that team they picked for pl- playing in Ireland. Paul Farbrace was there in Ireland yeah. as well. Of course, he, he sort of took the, the credit in a way. And also talking to Paul Downton about this, he, he says the same thing. You know, we saw the problems and we were changing the side but that world cup it, it was a it all came too quickly didn't it they all sort of snowballed it was that it was that storm we were talking about earlier it just engulfed them all and they they couldn't survive it i mean they, so it's possible that what peter moores was was trying to do and trevor bayliss has, has taken on with, with paul Frabrace was you know it, it would have benefited peter moores he would have been able to bring it about i think it's it's almost the manner of the delivery isn't it that sometimes with peter and you can hear that even from his interview, it's it's almost a bit relentless. And that's no criticism of him, that's just his manner. And he de- he means well, and he's very enthusiastic. But I think sometimes it can almost feel like this torrent of information, which is just a bit too much. Trevor Bayliss is completely the opposite. He's very laid back, hardly says anything, sits there with his big sun hat on and his dark glasses, almost inscrutable, uh, occasionally he'll come out with a comment or two. I know he, he's irked you once or twice, one or two things he said, but he, he's very much a sort of overview Well, he said last person. week, he said last week, didn't he, after Headingley, he said, uh, we lost that game on the first two days. They did not lose that game on the first two days yeah. at Headingley. Mm. They got themselves back into a winning position and then decided to declare, which we, which we, <laughs> which we talked about a lot last yes, week. Yes, we did. Sorry, Simon, I interrupted you. No, so, no, no, it's fine. And then actually, uh, you know, Bayliss, I think, is he's old school. You know, he's, what he loves most of all is an old school fielding drill. He gets his bat and his ball and his mitt out and he just whacks lots of catches. And it's funny, but it's almost like a bit of a throwback uh, to an older style of coaching. And I think that sometimes players do need to be left alone. Once they've done all the drills and, and been through the academy system and obviously played their test matches and stuff, I think almost sometimes you just need to sit back and take a bit of stock and make one or two sort of sensible observations about your game, and obviously practice those little things that you made the mistakes in, and then play again, because you can think too deeply about all this stuff. Do you think that's why it's, it's perceived that Peter Moores is a much far more successful coach at county level than he is at international level? I think because he can have a bit more control, actually. He can have a bit more direction, whereas at, at test level, you know, these guys are already formed, and... You, you know, the strategy is dictated largely by the captain and you can have less influence. Maybe he tries at test level a bit too hard, whereas at county level it's perfect because they need it. So well done, Nottingham. After the break, we're going to look ahead to the final test of the summer and also the one-day series as well because England have picked their squad for that. Oh, welcome back. Just a reminder, you can also subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you get the programme automatically each week. Just click on the button where it says subscribe and please continue to leave reviews of this podcast on iTunes. We'd like to know what you think and also as well tell us what you think on Twitter because uh, we do take note of your comments. Just make sure you give it five stars, all right? <laughs> right, we absolutely. Well, we didn't give England five stars for their performance at, at Headingley, but they did fight back well. And then West Indies played brilliantly on the final day to set up well an unexpected climax to the summer. One all going to Lords. Blowers his last test as well on, on test match special. Good luck to him for the test match and the future. Can, can West Indies upset England again? The confidence they took from Headingley, the way they batted in the first innings, the way they bowled in the first innings, 
and the way they bat in the second innings. Is there enough confidence there, do you think, to disrupt England again? Or do you think England say, right, OK, we didn't play well, no complacency this time. I'm not saying, I mean, not saying there definitely was lots of complacency, but it must be hard when you come up against a side you've thrashed, annihilated a week before to really, really, really be on your game. It's not like, you know, taking Australia at the, at the Gabba, is it, when you turn up to play a uh, beaten West Indies side at Headingley. So what, what are we going to see then, Yoz? I think that England will win probably fairly comfortably. They're good at coming back from a bad defeat, like the one at Trent Bridge against South Africa. They then responded well at the Oval. And I just think if you look at England's team, there's so many match winners there from Cook downwards, obviously Root. I'd like to see Root, who, by the way, could uh, break the world record if he gets a, a 50 in one of the innings in this test He'll become the first batsman to have scored 50s in 13 consecutive test matches, beating A.B. de Villiers' record. But I want him to convert one of those 50s into a proper score, a big score, because that will really nail down England's potential dominance. And there are obvious other match winners. We've seen them during the summer, including, of course, Jimmy Anderson looking for his 500th uh, test wicket, three to go. And the West Indies just haven't got enough match winners. Yes, now Shea Hope is someone that they obviously will have to reckon with. And Brathwaite, they'll need to find a way to prize him out. But if you look at their team from 1 to 11, they've got very little experience and very little real match-winning quality. Shannon Gabriel, I thought, bowled extremely well in that uh, Headingley Test match. So you could say Brathwaite and Hope and perhaps Shannon Gabriel are their three really good players. But England have got six match winners to compare with that. So I don't see how you can argue for a West Indies win. <laughs> right, OK. Well, we're gonna, we'll play that next week. We'll, we'll cut it out and yeah. play it again okay, next fine. week. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, predictions have been a nightmare <laughs> this summer, haven't they? Everything, every prediction's gone wrong. But I, I suppose, <laughs> thinking back to, going back to Jimmy Anderson, uh, I remember seeing him bowl in the World Cup in 2003 in, in South Africa, and he bowled out Pakistan, took four brilliant wickets with this amazing swing. And I remember saying then to somebody, and I love making predictions, as you know, and I said, that guy's going to get 200 test wickets. And I thought, well, that's a bit of a risky thing to say. Everyone looked at me and went, what? 200 test wickets? He, he's only played one test before that or something. How can you say that? Now he's on the verge of 500. It's incredible. Yeah, it is amazing. One thing that will be interesting is the Lord's pitch, because the last test pitch at Lord's was like a pitch I, I, well, I can't remember seeing yeah. at Lord's for a test match. Remarkable, where it was turning square mm. on the Sunday, dry. 19 yeah. wickets, very dry. If you get another pitch like that, batting first will be absolutely crucial. I was at Lord's yesterday, and it, it looks quite green. I didn't look at the pitch, but the overall surroundings... There's been a fair bit of rain yeah. recently. August was quite a damp month. So I don't think there'll be any problems with dryness of the pitch. If anything, it might have a bit too much seam movement, potentially, and that should play into England's hands if they bowl well, which I hope they will. You know, I mean, England, their bowling wasn't that great at Headingley. I thought Anderson was immaculate. Broad was a bit hot and cold, as he can be, but slightly more cold than hot. Wokes short of a gallop. So... Uh, you know, their bowling was a bit disappointing, but I hopefully they'll raise their game this week. We've been saying it all summer, you know, big, big week for yeah. X, whatever, big week for Tom Wesley. We, what we didn't mention in our T20 review roundup was Samit Patel's 
excellent performances at, at Edgbaston. Okay, you can't you, know, you can't say just because he did well at Edgbaston he should be playing in the Test match team. But he's been really good across all formats this summer. He's saying himself, you know, I, I, I'm disappointed that I've been ignored by the selectors. He's he's coming up for 33 years of age. He actually has a higher first-class batting average than any of the, the three players England have, have picked of late, the last three, Stoneman, Wesley and Milan. He's also taken 297 first-class wickets as well. I'm presuming there's no chance Samit Patel for Australia, but what, what if? What, what, what's the situation with Tom Wesley? What happens if he, if he looks hopeless this week at Lords? What happens if he really struggles technically again this week? I mean, there's no, there are no other games in which to try anybody out. Well, yeah, and how would he feel... You know, tonight, the, the night before the game, Tom Wesley, he must be a nervous wreck. He's got to try and put that out of his head and just try and play his natural game. Maybe one of the problems he's had is that the more and more that the Test Series have worn on, the more he seems to be conscious of his technical issues rather than just go out and play. Uh, he feel, he looks a bit more rigid now, a bit more kind of constrained. And in the end, and this is what quite often happens with batsmen, in their sort of last chance saloon, is they just go and almost throw off the shackles and just play. I remember Andrew Strauss saying that when he was one test away from being dropped and he made 170 in, in New Zealand. And he just played. He went out and played. And so if Tom Wesley could possibly do that, we might find out a bit more about him. I don't think he's quite good enough, but he might prove us wrong. Samit, well, you know, he's a fantastically successful county cricketer. Clearly, Peter Moores has had a big influence on him. I spoke to Samit the other day and he said that what Moores had taught him was firstly to really believe in his strengths, to work on his strengths and not to worry too much about his weaknesses, but just really, really build on his strengths and also be in at the end, take responsibility, be not out at the end of the, of the innings and make sure that you know he sees his team to victory. And so he's taken on that responsibility, which is really good. There's always been issues about his fitness and I noticed Ben Stokes tweeted the other day during that NatWest Blast final, uh, would Samit Patel prefer a starring role on TV or a multi-pack of Walker's Crisps? Question mark. Uh, it, it, it elicited a few quite funny replies, but there's always been that, that fitness issue uh, hanging over his head and I'm not sure he's ever done anything about it, really. Just, talk, just on the, the, what Tom West is going through, actually, I just, as an aside, I thought it was interesting that the comments that David Milan has been making about playing in the test side just saying how difficult it was you know once you once you get out in a certain way how suddenly everyone's talking about your technique and you're starting to question yourself and it really does show you how the test match spotlight is so intense on players and you you just don't quite know yourself until you get to that level whether you'll better cope with it or not yeah but they they meant they yeah, but they blame the media a bit for that, the players. They go, well, why is the media sort of jumping on players all the time? But what happens is that all these players' weaknesses are illuminated in the media, yes, mainly on TV by people like me and Nasser Hussain, etc. And then the bowlers, if they haven't seen it already, mm. they see it then and they capitalise on it. Mm. So it's the bowlers making their life difficult, not the people watching it on telly. Well, no, I, I totally agree with that. But the bowlers have just become very good. Uh, you know, the Andersons of this world, obviously, someone like Vernon Philander. We've seen some high class operators bowling this summer. Look at Morley Morkel as well. 
and they're just very good at looking at a batsman's weaknesses and really, really going hard at them and capitalising on them. Mm. It's been tough, tough summer for batsmen. It has. I mean, I'm not sure Milan was necessarily criticising the media. I just think he was he was just making an interesting point mm. that the, the spotlight, the glare, is so intense. County cricket... It's very different. I mean, Nasser always makes the point as well. With county cricket, you play against a certain bowler one week, you don't have to play him against the next. But if you're playing against Philander mm. four test matches in a row, yes. then you know, you, and it really a, is that, intense. That's another point, actually. If you have test matches back-to-back like that, there's no escape. I mean, the problem that a lot of younger batsmen or inexperienced batsmen have when they come into the test side now is there's no time to get away and go and enjoy batting for Somerset or Essex or whoever and make 100 and then come back into the, te- the next test refreshed or you know invigorated or rejuvenated there's no scope to do that you just go back in the nets and focus on some little tiny flaw that the bowlers have e- exploited in the last test and then you're back in, you know facing the music again 2 3 days later one day series as well i think the biggest surprise about the one day squad there are no surprises i think we all expected players to be rested the likes of root and stokes it would have happened in the past has happened in the past the ashes are not far away but of course, there's another thing not far away as well. That's called the World Cup. And England, you know, they didn't win the Champions Trophy this summer. So they're still building. They're trying to build, aren't they, this one-day side? And I, I presume that's the reason why no one's been rested. OK, well, let's um, wrap things up. Let's uh, go on to our Royal London Player of the Week. Honourable mention for Summit Patel. But you've got someone else you, you'd like to nominate as our Royal London Player of the Week this week. I liked the, the look of Jamie Porter of Essex, who's... One of the leading wicket-takers this summer. He's got Essex to the top of the table. And he took 12 wickets in the match against Somerset. And when I look at a bowler, I always look for particularly strong body action and a bit of pace, as well as, obviously, movement and control and stuff. And he definitely has that. He's got a really robust action. He uses the upper part of his body, his left arm, really coiling and uncoiling at, at the crease. He seems to move the ball consistently away from the right-hander. He's just He bowls a good, heavy ball. He looks like someone who could play test cricket. And he bowled people out with good deliveries as well, good players like Marcus Druskovic, for instance. So I, I'd just say 12 wickets against Somerset in one game, getting Essex to the top of the table and keeping them there, Jamie Porter. Let's finish with our, our highlight low light. We're going to do things a bit differently this week. We're going to go with our highlight first. Uh, Virat Kohli. 31-day international hundreds in 186 innings. He's gone level with Ricky Ponting, also made 31-day hundreds. Ponting made his 30th one-day hundred. I've been having a look at this in his 349th innings. Coley's got there in his 186th. Which is a measure of his ability and his fitness because the England trainer, Phil Scott, was saying that the even in a one-day game, players, batsmen scoring 100 will cover something like 12 kilometres. And, you know, you need to be seriously fit to make a one-day 100, especially in India where it's very hot as well. So his skill is, we know all about, but the stamina to, to maintain the the tempo of his innings, 450 overs and make all these hundreds and keep making them, he's insatiable. It's incredible. Well, he'll be back in England next yeah. summer. He was here for the Champions Trophy early. He might play in a county side, mightn't he? Do well, you think? It, what, the lead-up to try and yeah. get some practice? Yeah. I mean, there's talk of that. Well, he didn't do very well last time. He was here in the in the Test Series. And in, India back next summer for three T20s, three one-day internationals and five Test matches. The programme has been released for that. The Oval Test match is the last Test of the summer in September. We're not going to finish with a, a low light today. We're going to finish with 
a note of sadness. Yes, the, the death of Ralph Deller was announced the other day. You and I both worked with him on radio. Someone who necessarily hasn't got a famous name, but the voice would have meant something to many people. And I'd never known anyone who had so much enthusiasm and exuberance for the game. He always had a smile on his face. He always wanted to play, even into his 60s. And it was very infectious, his enthusiasm for the game, wasn't it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I worked with him in the Women's World Cup not so long ago, what, six, seven weeks ago. And I, I asked him, I said, are you, are you still bowling? And he said, well, I'd like to be, but not at the moment. I mean, he said, not at the moment, because I think he had a, a hip replacement or a <laughs> knee replacement. It was one of the two. He said, not at the moment, but I'm hoping to get back to bowling. And he was, he was 69 when he died. And that just shows how enthusiastic he was about the game. He was also coach of Norway as well. I remember having a conversation with that. Well, I thought he was joking, but he said, no, no, I'm, co- I'm coach of Norway. Fantastic. How did they do? Do you know? Um, not, not sure. I think, they, I think they actually did quite well under Ralph. Wow, that's brilliant. Well, I can just see someone like that being as intrepid as that because, well, he gave me my first job in radio, which was working for British Forces Broadcasting, BFBS, at a funny little studio in Paddington, and this was in the mid-'80s, and he put the programme together everywhere with Barry Davis, the famous football commentator, uh, and it was just a, a, a programme of total enthusiasm, which everyone got paid about £4.94, but Ralph was there, enthusiastic as you like, and he's been like that ever since, and he's an incredible loss to, to all of us because he felt like part of the furniture at Lords. He presented a lot of the ECB podcasts, so we thought we'd leave you today with... A guy who maybe you don't know his name, but his voice will mean something to you. Let's hope that we have another English test victory to talk about next week in the programme after the Barbados test. You'll be able to keep right up to date with that and everything else that goes on in English cricket from top to bottom and from side to side by logging on to the website. And that's where you'll find us next week. But for now, cheerio. Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.